Are you one of the millions of Americans struggling with your weight? Well, I have some exciting news to share with you from Roe. They have a revolutionary medication approved by the FDA specifically for weight loss. With Roe, you can access a weekly shot that could reduce your body weight by an average of 15% in one year. All you have to do is complete a free online visit, connect with a U.S. licensed healthcare professional, and they are giving our listeners a discount. To get our special offer, go to row.co slash tape. You'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 per month thereafter. If prescribed, medication cost is separate. That's ro.co slash tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. One PM on the East Coast, back to normal here on Market Call. It is Tuesday, May 9th. I'm Guy Adami. That's Dan Nathan. Today's market call, Dan, brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, our data provider, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. Now, last night, the Knicks were not powered by any effort. They got killed on the glass in Miami. I was expecting more. You know, I thought a lot of different outcomes, but I thought the Knicks could dominate in the paint. They didn't. A lot of second and third chances for the Heat that just absolutely killed the Knicks. Um, obviously, foul trouble was a bit of a concern, too. We go back to the Garden down 3-1. A lot of people think that series is over. We'll see. And in hockey, wow, Florida Panthers, who basically snuck in under the cover of darkness the last week of the season, are on the verge of going to the Eastern Conference Finals probably against the Carolina Hurricanes, although the Devils obviously have other thoughts. Las Vegas really doing a number in Edmonton. Nobody cares, Guy. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. I mean, you didn't you didn't even mention your Yankees. I was up in the Bronx last no, night. Because it's a lot of baseball. There was it's a lot of bombs. Interesting. A lot of bombs. Judge Judge sitting that one out. Um, but uh, it was uh, they went yard a handful of times, four times maybe uh, at least that I saw. I think but, they hit four home runs last night. Aaron Hicks, who got his first extra base hit of the season yeah. last week, hit a. I tell you what, it's a monumental uh, home run that he hit in the second deck. You know, when his swing is on, you know, he looks like he should be unstoppable. But tell you what, he might be playing himself to a DFA for those who know. By the way, um, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and smash the shit out of the like button, as you see below. Subscribe to Risk Reversal on YouTube yeah, and hit the bell. Right below. Hit the bell right. icon. I didn't know there was a bell icon. I'll tell you what's ringing some bells here, Dan. Yeah. Um, the markets, you know, it's it's interesting stuff. You're going to have a trade in crude oil. This is through the lens of futures today. Doesn't appear to be all that much going on. But yet again, 
below the surface, things are happening. Yeah, you know, it goes yesterday. I think we highlighted David Rosenberg's um, Rosie. Yeah, no, the, the 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 data that he had of the equal weight versus the market weight, and just kind of the ratio of the two, and and you know, just the 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 market weight. You pull up the S and P. Let's just look at this. Look and, at and, and one of the things I find really interesting is that even with the market weight, okay, um, that that we have this concentration of these top five or six names. The S&P still not above. These are the S&P futures above that February 2nd high. And so what are you waiting for here? You've had these results that uh, in Q1 earnings have been better expected by some of these big names, Microsoft, Apple. They both surged, right? Um, really, the only one that didn't trade particularly well after was Amazon. Google traded well. Uh, Netflix traded well. Mm -hmm. um, we, we continue to have some of these other names come in. Out of the gate, we had the banks trading well. You know, Now, that's kind of they've given a bit of that back. So to me, I look at this and I say, Guy, as we head into this debt ceiling thing, we head into this period where, you know, we have the 10 year um, back at this three and a half level, the two year at this 4% mm -hmm. level. We have Fed funds at 5%. If we want to look really quickly at the CME FedWatch tool, um, you know, we, we basically, it's already priced in that we are not going to have a rate hike in June, right? So we're at this five to five and a quarter percent bound. So right now it's, you know, a very low probability of that. And also in July. So if you think about what's priced into the market guy, and then we also have some of these major banks, I think Goldman added, uh, joined Barclays yesterday saying, we're not going to have the sort of cuts. You say to yourself, higher for longer. I mean, this is what you have to deal with in an economy where we're seeing some weakening data despite despite that unemployment rate at 3.4%. Now let's go back to the S&P 500. My question to you, what breaks it out right here? To me, I look at that 200-day moving average right at that uptrend, and I say that is much more of a likely occurrence, in my opinion, a retest of that in the next few weeks than a move back towards those basically the 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 August highs that we had back there. So I don't know. Thoughts there, guys. Okay, so 200 so, seems like a level. Right. So let's play the game. What breaks it out to the upside? A number of different things could happen. I, I think if there were to be some agreement, if, if for example, McCarthy and President Biden and, and the other three individuals in this meeting today walked out hand in hand, um, it's a metaphor, obviously, yep, yep. and said we've reached an accord here on the debt ceiling. We've been able to work with the administration all the language, I think the market would take its cues from that. Obviously, that's a possibility. I don't think it's a I don't think it's all that probable. That's number one. Number two, now look, Russia, Ukraine, if something weird were to happen there where, you know, somebody decides, you know what, cool heads are gonna prevail, everybody go back to their respective corners, the market might take its cue from there. Any lack of bad news along the way, and the market continues to sort of this passive investing market money flows into the market. You know, that will be somewhat supportive. Now, on the downside, I think this debt ceiling probably gets pushed to the 11th inning. I think Russia, Ukraine probably continues to heat up. I think there's a chance for China, Taiwan. Read Kyle Bass's Twitter account. Ooh, yeah. and he's been pretty articulate, and I think he's been spot on in the way he's been navigating that and the way he's been sort of handicapping what potentially could happen there. Uh, the market finally realizes that, wait a second, 5% Fed funds, the last time we saw levels of this magnitude were quite some time ago. Market realizes that the lag effect is still in, in, in full effect, and we probably haven't felt it yet. Continued layoffs. You see a CPI that's hotter than anticipated. I mean, I think there's a laundry list of negative things. I think there's a handful of things 
that could get us uh, breaking out to the upside. That's just my opinion. Now, people in the comments, I'm sure, will saying you're being dogmatic. I get it. I don't think so. I think I'm just trying to read the tea leaves here. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think if the the the, the jobs data is the one that seems to be really giving people a hard problem, time, right? Right. And and then the flip side of that is that if you do see some of these like CPI PPI start ticking up again. That just means higher for longer. So that's why all those kind of late year rate cut hike odds have just been kind of pushed out here. And then I, I think the point that you made about China um, is, is interesting because I think we're getting a sense for some of the earnings that we've seen in the semiconductor space and some of the commentary we've seen out of people like Warren Buffett, where there seems to be some fears. And I bring up Buffett because he got into and got out of Taiwan Semiconductor kind of quickly here. And this morning, you know, there's this company called Global Foundries, which mm -hmm. is, um, they basically, you know, operate manufacturing facilities for, and they design, you know, a, a lot of chips for some major players. I think Qualcomm, AMD, they're all 10% um, customers here. I mean, when you think about the guidance that they just gave and some of the concerns that folks have um, about what might be basically slowing demand, for their chips outside of some of these advanced chips that have been kind of wrapped up in this AI boom over the last few months or so, you look at that chart guy and you say, that was really constructive, right? Off of a low, and it, it, it made a bottom well before, well before the S&P and the NASDAQ did. And you want to see sectors like semiconductors and you want to see the people that are actually making the, uh, the semiconductor, getting the orders to make them. You want to see them bottom early. They're deemed to be cyclical. Well, look at that breakdown. Okay, like right below the 200 day moving average, right below that uptrend that had been in place since mid last year or so. And you see, that's not good. Now, that's just one technical input, but you marry that together with what they said fundamentally. You look at the SMH, the ETF that tracks the semiconductor space down nearly 2% today. You know, those are some of the inputs that I am most focused on. And then if you piece a lot of this stuff together, you know, with a higher rate environment, that's not great for equity valuations at a time where we've seen valuations um, get sort of stretched. The last thing I'll just say about this SMH is that off of its lows, guy was up 60%. It did three X of what the NASDAQ did for 20% off its lows. It's interesting. People saying Kyle Bass is right every 13 years or so. I mean, he he's not right or wrong. He's just sort of outlying or outlining what he thinks is going on. I mean, you say what you want about him. Somebody said it's not going to be the Kyle Bass. No, it's not. I mentioned him for about nine seconds. So with that said, and you throw on top of there Qualcomm, uh, which people say oh, it's Qualcomm specific. Yeah, it probably is. But it's a $115 billion company. It's within probably 4% of its recent 52-week low. It has not traded particularly well. So there, that's thank you for that. And there, so there are other semi stocks, obviously, that tell a much different story than a name like Nvidia. And by the way, to a certain extent, AMD as well, which got definitely buoyed by that announcement with Microsoft. If you remember post earnings, I think AMD, if we could pull that chart up, traded down. I want to say eighty-one bucks or so. And then, as Dan mentioned the other day, you got that announcement out of Microsoft, which bounced it. And we talked about. I remember the 200-day moving average being potentially support and said, you know, you can trade around this. That proved to be, uh, at least in the short term, correct. So there, are my, I guess my point is there are a lot of different cross currents going on. So if you think it's all the semis moving in the same direction as NVIDIA, you're wrong. So there are a lot of things happening below the surface that I think, 
Again, there are reasons to be bullish. I get it. There are reasons to be bearish. I get that as well. And here we are right around this 4125 level, which seemingly we've been at, Dan, for a month in the S&P 500. Yeah, interesting. Another name, if they could pull up Intel, it had that kind of big gap up on its earnings. It filled in the whole gap in the next couple of days here, and it's sitting just above it. And I think that's kind of interesting. We had Caleb Silver um, on CNBC's Fast Money. He is the editor of Investopedia. He's also a recent guest. I think it was in early April on our On the Tape podcast. You and I are both big fans of uh, Caleb, but they do a lot of survey work and um, you know of their users. And he mentioned last night, I thought this was interesting guy on the show, I don't know if you caught this, that Intel, for the first time in a very long time, made it into the one of the most actively you know, searched tickers um, on Investopedia. So, you know, again, this stock is well off that low of 25. I think we highlighted that sort of triple bottom at that level. When it broke out above 30, it looked like a big breakout on big volume. Uh, then we had that kind of confirmed after earnings, but it's filled in that gap. So again, I mean, this is not one that right now feels like people are that convicted on. So yeah, lots of different cross currents. I just go back to the fact is that, okay, you know, what, what are we, what's the period that we're going into right here? If we pull up the NASDAQ futures here, the NDX, the NASDAQ 100 futures guy, what's the thing that really causes all of these names, this indice, um, you know, that's drawn, really drawn by like five or six names. What, what's the thing that kind of breaks it out? There'd have to be something else. You see that uptrend? It's nice. I get it. You know what I mean? Um, and you see those August highs not far away here. I just don't, I just can't put my finger on on what that thing is. Um, you yeah. Know. So I'll play that game with you as well, because I, I, first of all, yes, I agree with you. But there are clearly answers to that question. So over the weekend, I think Warren Buffett talked about Apple and saying that, you know, they're very comfortable with their Apple position. It's the most valuable company that they own. And, you know, they would uh, now I'm paraphrasing, but they would probably add to their position. So if you somehow see that Berkshire Hathaway added to their Apple position in a meaningful way, just in terms of what the mechanism is for stocks, that will take Apple higher. And I'm not suggesting it's going to happen, but you drag Apple up and that continues to go. If Microsoft continues with this, you know, this AI um, phenomenon that seemingly captured everybody's imagination, you know, that stock will continue. You just really need those two and the whole thing gets yeah. dragged up. Now, the flip side is, of course, the market starts to get concerned with valuation and maybe there's some hopium in terms of what we've seen with Microsoft. And maybe Apple is probably one or two turns too expensive this environment. And again, go back to the last quarter. I'm not a hater, but it wasn't a great quarter by Apple standards by any stretch of the imagination. So the market comes to that realization and maybe it starts to sort of turn. I don't know if you can pull up an Apple chart, but Carter, I thought, did a good job with this. And yes, he probably thought like I did, earnings would be the catalyst to take it lower. It didn't happen, but you know, it didn't. it's not like it's exploded to the upside. You're still right at these levels that it's failed at a couple of times. So you tell me, you know, when you get to a couple standard deviations away from the 200-day moving average, regardless whether or not it's turning up, this mean reverts. And it yeah. mean reverts seemingly every, I don't know, six months-ish or so. Yeah, lot, lot. listen, a lot of good news in, in the markets here. This this kind of little banking crisis not also uh, not over anytime soon. I just wanted to kind of follow up on, on one thing. We we previewed PayPal yesterday. We had a, mm-hmm. a short little preview. And I, I, I think I said 
uh, I'm pretty sure I said um, this is one where I think you, you kind of wait and you hear what they have to say. There's there's no reason to kind of try to get in front of this. And, you know, on a couple instances over the last year, guy, I bought this stock in and around the $70 level. Um, I did it in the spring last late last spring. I did it again, uh, I think, late last year. And I did it again this morning on the opening. It was my final trade last night on Fast Money. I'd said I'd wait till 70. Um, it opened, you know, below 70. I bought it at 68. It's trading at 66 and a half here. You know, Doug Cass at Seabreeze, um, he reminded me, and, and Doug is always very gracious with his work, and, and we highlight his work a lot. Um, he said he's been short it for a while. Um, still doesn't like it um, down here. And he makes the point, I think one of the reasons why, you know, some uh, investors are just kind of running uh, for the for the I don't know, just running from mm -hmm. the stock right here is that there's, you know, worry that a, the, the CEO is leaving. Um, so there's going to be a transition. They haven't announced um, who that's going to be yet. They also, you know, have been cutting jobs, fairly aggr aggressively cutting costs. They, that, that showed in their operating margins, which are better than expected. But I think some investors now feel um, like the, the, that is probably in the stock a little bit at a time where they're really levered towards discretionary spending. And, and I get all that, but here's what, what I would say. Okay, why I'm willing to take a shot at this from a trading standpoint, guy, and in this level, and I'll average down. I said this to Doug before the opening. I'll average down to the low 60s, and maybe I'll get a move back to the mid 70s in the next month or so. Is that here's a stock that at its highs in 2021 had greater market cap than Bank of America. Okay, I thought that was ridiculous. All right, it made no sense. But when it came all the way back down here, and now expected to have mid teens um, EPS growth, high single digits sales growth, 47% gross margins, good balance sheet here. And I say the sentiment could not be worse. I'm going to take a shot down here, trading it 13 times this year, you know, 12 times next. And you see that that's the one-year chart. Now on a five-year chart or back it out even further. I mean, it looks horrible. Okay. Like, 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 like this is not good, but from a valuation standpoint, if you see some of the excitement that's being paid for multiples in some of the largest stocks in the market in tech because of their supposed exposure to ai this one looks like i'll take a crack on this thoughts on that well let's talk about it i mean that shorter term chart quickly you see the levels we're trading at is effectively the same level we bottomed out at i want to say mid to late december might have been early jan doesn't matter you see it on the chart number two it's already traded i think close to 50 million shares today it typically trades about 11 or so million shares so Right now, in a snapshot, let's just round off. It's traded five times normal volume. By the end of the day, number is going to be closer to eight. That is a bit of an extreme. So I've always said when you see extreme moves on large volume, a lot of times on the upside, that portends to be a short-term top. And then here on the downside, it tends to be a short-term bottom. Doug's thesis has been spot on, and he's been right. But I think he even would submit their opportunities along the way in a short position to trade things from the long side. Today might be one of those days. It's clearly you're seeing the flush. You obviously know the levels. We're talking about the volume. Here's your opportunity to trade something, understanding what the risk reward is. So it's all about the setup. And again, given the volume we're seeing and given the level we're trading at, I think the setup is actually advantageous for a long side trade. Yeah, well, there you go. Let's see. <clears throat> I'm going to keep a tight one on this one. But, you know, again, I mean, part of it is not being there ahead of time, right? And 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 so I wait and I, I saw what they had to say. And if I was like, I, I don't know, listen, trading around these earnings are, are, are getting increasingly difficult here. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take a crack here. I'm going to keep this one um, on a bit of a tight leash here, guy. Um, let's talk about the crude oil. This thing has been 
a little volatile of late. Um, yeah, it has. And I think that one thing I think is really important to kind of mention, though, you know, we check our main man, um, John Butters over uh, there. Uh, that's hashtag Butters, by yeah, the way. Certain, the senior earnings insight analyst over there at, at the fact set. And he's also, he's a guest of this program. We highlight his work on Thursdays. But he's been talking about, you know, this kind of, um, the energy contribution to S&P earnings for a while. I mean, he's been telling us for months and months that based on what they're tracking, is this going to start to fall off, right, as we get into the mid part of this year. And so it's interesting that the commodity is not really hanging on right here, okay? And some of the energy stocks we talked about last week, how Exxon dropped after its earnings pretty precipitously. I kind of feel like the energy trade might be done for a little bit. I almost feel like that if we start to get increasingly weak data, um, you know, uh, globally, you know, that we might see crude make new lower lows. Thoughts on that? Because I want to detail a trade idea in the crude futures. You've been right in your assessment of the underlying commodity without question. And the trade you put on with Exxon literally top ticked it. I think Exxon got up to 121 post earnings. Don't at me if I'm off by 50 cents. Traded down to 106 the other day. It's 109 now. So it was definitely sort of a sell the news event in terms of Exxon's earnings on that Friday. So you nailed that one. OIH, um, which got, I think, north of 315, has been clearly under pressure. So you're starting to see sort of the sell first, ask questions later in terms of the equities. And it speaks to what Butters was saying a few weeks or so ago. So I think your assessment is right. You know, I'm still of the belief, I don't know if we can pull a crude oil chart up through the lens of futures, that, you know, there's a trade here in the energy space. I think if crude were to go sideways, which, by the way, it has since mid-December. Yes, it's moved to the upside. It's moved to the downside. But it's effectively been going sideways for quite some time. We're at the lower end of the range. You know, I still think you stay long equities. I understand why people would say, you know what, if some global recession or some global slowdown is on the horizon and maybe we're in the midst of it, there's absolutely no reason to be long. I get that as well. My thesis for quite some time has been a sideways crude oil, given the environment and given how well run these companies are now, is supportive of the equities. That was true until about two or so weeks ago. We'll see. But I'm going to sort of hang on to that bull thesis yeah. in the equities. All right. There's two ways you could look at this chart that we have up here. And just look like like look at the the just how steep, you know, like this downtrend is over the last few weeks or so. And that crescendo to a low back towards like $64 or something and came back up here. So if we look at that level, you know, we, we kind of highlighted that resistance there. We, at the time when we were talking about the potential for a breakout, right, it was the 200 day moving average was right there, guy. Um, we also see that, you know, the levels in and around 70 where it's gotten some support here and there. There's two ways you can think about this. OK, I, I'm inclined to be bearish for fundamental reasons here. So I look at that decline and I look at, you know, and I basically say I'm going to stop a short trade in the futures at the high right from just yesterday okay which is about i don't know 7370 or so okay so if i were to sell this at 72 bucks i put in a stop at 7369 that's the high from monday and i'm really targeting a move back towards those levels that we kind of found some support um over the last you know month month and a half or so or something like that's how I want to trade futures with really tight stops. And I want to be directional, obviously. And, and again, when you talk about that sideways action since December, it's been a great trading market. You know what I mean? So you basically have to marry your fundamental views with the technicals here and then use the product that allows you to kind of continue to make some cracks at this sort of thing. If you were bullish 
of crude. And you had a couple of good reasons to do it. I'd say breaking out above that downtrend, if we go back to that chart, go the opposite way and target, you know, and, 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 and target mm-hmm. the 200-day moving average. You know, I mean, but it just really goes to what your biases are. Look, you trade, listen, and your trades have been spot on in terms of both futures and the equities. So kudos, number one. Here's something that's going to be somewhat counterintuitive, I think, and maybe we can put Dan's levels up again. If there's an impasse with this debt ceiling, it actually allows crude oil to go lower. And that might seem somewhat counterintuitive, but hear me out for a second. If they come to some accord, again, which I think will happen, but not over the next couple of days, you know, that actually frees them up to actually start to buy back the amount of all the crude they, well, it's going to take time, but from the SPR. Right now, uh, given that there's an impasse, I don't think by law they're allowed to buy mm-hmm. the SPR. So if that continues, it allows crude to go lower. It's, and I know that sounds perverse, but that's just the mechanics of the whole thing. So I think actually with this trade, Dan, you have to have a keen eye on what's going on with terms of the debt ceiling as well. Yeah, it sounds perverse, guy. I mean, that's that's like the least perverse thing that you've said to me. No, that's true. I mean, I do say, you know. All right, let's let's talk about yields here. Um, you know, we just mentioned where the two, where the ten, we got that kind of fifty bips sort of inversion. Still, it's kind of getting a little boring. But you look at the ten-year note, and you know, it's been banging around here, guy. It's gotten a little support at this kind of three thirty-two level, and then you look at that three fifty-six is the two hundred-day moving average. This is clearly clearly going sideways. And I wonder, you know, you've talked about the volatility in the bond market for a very long time. And, you know, we start tracking this move index, which kind of tracks that that volatility and, and the treasury yields. And I say to myself, is there a chance now if the Fed has a scenario where they could just kind of lock in this higher for longer and the, and the, the, the bets about cuts go away, the bets about further hikes go away, right? Do we have a situation where the yield curve stays inverted, you know, it's 210 or about 50, Fed funds is locked at five, and then market participants just kind of get used to it. And then yeah. not a whole heck of a lot of volatility, which, which would be great because I think that you've made the point on many occasions that that's not bullish, you know, just for investor sentiment. When you see the most liquid market in the world or what's supposedly that is volatile as it is on an intraday basis. Well, it's insanity. The volatility in the bond market. And that's something we were talking about a couple of years ago that people have now sort of wrapped their arms around in terms of bond market volatility. But I think that is potential scenario. The market will get comfortable in terms of where yields are. The problem is the economy hasn't gotten comfortable with it yet. The economy is still trying to figure it out. And I think they're going to be growing pains associated with it. And again, I want to be clear, the lag effect, which is in full bore, I thought it would, I didn't think it would last this long, but we're seeing it now. But you hear from, and we brought up Tyson Food yesterday. I don't want to sort of hammer this too much, but go back and listen to the commentary from Tyson Foods, basically saying they're at a point now where they can no longer pass on the higher cost to their consumer and the consumers are going downstream. And you saw what happened in that stock. So it's anecdotal, I understand. That's one of many, but you're starting to see it now. So, okay, the consumers can't now pay the associated cost. What happens? Margins get crushed. What happens to the stocks? You see it right there. So, yes, you know, maybe market participants will figure out and be okay with it, but the economy still has to deal with it. And when you see it through the lens of different companies like this, you see the knock-on effect to the stock. Yeah. So I just don't think we're there yet. And I want to be clear. The Fed has been clear 
in terms of what they say. They, I, I don't really get why people think we're going to see cuts in the back half of this year. With a 3.4% unemployment rate, you tell me. I mean, wh- why should there be cuts? Now, people will say because inflation is coming down. Well, let's see. Because now here at 5.1%, let's see how fast it comes down. From 9.1 to 5 made sense over the course of 10 months. And I think we spoke about it last June when we top-ticked. The problem, of course, is going to be getting from five to two. And I think that's where the real work needs to be done. And I think we're light years away from that. Well, I, I listen, I think there's two scenarios where rate cuts could be contemplated in the not so distant future. If you saw, you know, inflation readings like speed up to the downside, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, to, which you just kind of intimated. Okay, let, let's just say that happened. There's some bad reasons for that. I think, you know what I mean? Like probably some things that would not be fantastic. You know, before the pandemic, I don't know if you guys recall, I mean, we were worried about deflation. Okay. Like, like, like the deflationary pressures of technology and a whole host of other things. Okay. That was one thing. Now, the other one is obviously something really bad happens and the Fed's playbook is to just lower interest rates. And we've seen that almost every crisis. We saw it in the pandemic. We saw the financial crisis. We saw it you know, post uh, the dot com. So 9-11 and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, like there's a lot of scenarios where rates could come down quickly, but I don't think they're the things that would be supportive of valuations. Um, You know, like that's just a quick point. You know, the other one guy, it's funny. We spent a lot of time in past earnings cycles talking about the dollar and the rise and just the headwind of that. If we pull up the dollar here, you know, it's funny. It is. We did a trade idea on this in the in the in the futures. Um, you know, buying this support here a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, it's kind of stuck here. You could say, okay, well, maybe the longer time it spends, you know, kind of building that base, that's good support. And maybe you'll have a move back towards those recent highs from March. It's near that 200-day moving average. And that was the kind of the trade that I was setting up. Are you of the camp, though, guy, that even with rates higher for longer, is there scenarios where the dollar could break and, and find its whale way below that kind of $100 level. In the yes, uh, absolutely. And, and the way it, it, again, if this debt ceiling continues to sort of carry on, I think people will start to get concerned about the dollar. So you might see pressure there. Janet Yellen, I was actually surprised with the rhetoric out of Janet Yellen or whatever word you want to use. I mean, she was pretty um, pointed in her assessment as to what would happen to the dollar. So the longer this carries on, I think the more pressure the dollar will be under. And there is a scenario where the dollar could be under increased pressure, even if we're higher for longer, you know, if things start to material deteriorate here. And it's interesting, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole necessarily. You're saying this is a global thing. By the way, look at what happened in Australia. Go and look at some of the commentary. They actually have a budget surplus in Australia, and their currency has been trading extraordinarily well. So the market is starting to reward countries for doing things the right way, as opposed to a country like the United States, by the way, where you have a debt to GDP of approaching, I want to say, close to 140% or so, and no developed economy in the history of mankind has been able to recover from that, Dan. So yes, there's a scenario that exists. And before we get out of here, somebody asked, and I apologize, it just went away. Who is the greatest baseball player of all time? And that's a great question, Dan. It's like, oh, my effing God. I don't think people fully understand how great a baseball player Henry Aaron was. Look at his numbers. He gets somehow, and I understand uh, besides, you know, Barry Bonds coming later in his career, he was the home run king. He was so more 
much more than the home run king. So for me, Henry Aaron's at the top of the list. Then you look at a Lou Gehrig, whose numbers were just stupid, some of the things that he did. So in terms of position players, those are two guys. Um, Sandy Koufax for that 10-year period. I don't know if Doug Cass is on here. Absolutely dominated baseball. You throw Bob Gibson in there as well. Those are the two pitchers I want on the hill for me. But, you know, Henry Aaron, you got to put way high on that list, Dan, back to you. Your Don Drysdale story yesterday was pretty epic, was too. Pretty so good, right? You're just feeling yeah, it in around. the spring here. Um, Where do we have uh, our own radio show? By the way, yeah. I don't want to – am I allowed to even talk? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Well, you know, to, to, to be to – be, uh, Whatever. Be continued here. Um, Coming to a theater near you, by all the right, way. I think, uh, I think we did this, guy. I think we covered, you know, all the, the, the bits and bobs, the nuts and bolts, the uh, – what else do you, what, what else you want to throw in there? What else I want to throw in there? Well, you know, the Knicks got to get it done on the glass. You know, a lot of rebounding is about effort. It's all really all it comes down they're, they're to. Toast. I mean, they're down three to one. They're toast. It's it. The, uh, the Warriors, but I'm just Warriors saying, that, toast. you know, they're down three to one. Shooting, I understand shooting is a skill. Rebounding is effort. So get your ass on the glass and don't give second and third chances because they actually shot okay last night. All you right. know, what, question for you, um, because I think, again, the Knicks are done. Um, are you, are, do you want to see, LeBron James, um, after all the whining, after all the BS, you know what I mean? Like, do you want to see him in the NBA finals after they won that Fugazi 2020, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, NBA championship and everything like that. Do you want to I see watch that? him play and I am, I am amazed what he does on the, I mean, the effort he puts forth. I mean, the guy's been in the league. I want to say what, 17 years or something. Yeah. That's it's pretty unbelievable. And he has willed this team. Tell you what, the Lakers, nobody thought the Lakers were going anywhere this year, and yeah. they're within an earshot of getting into the NBA Finals, or at least the Western Conference Championship. And it's all in the back of LeBron and some people that most of you guys never heard of, Anthony Davis notwithstanding. Although, you know, AD has been hurt most of the year. So you get that roster, you get some people healthy, you get some of these guys playing way above their skill level, and that's on the back of LeBron James. Steph Curry, to me, is still a freak. And the Knicks misdrafting him by one spot, which goes to show if there's somebody you covet in the draft, you do what you have to do to move up and get that guy. Because I don't know who the Knicks drafted after Steph. I don't know if the guy that the Knicks drafted knows that he was drafted after Steph Curry. But that's what you have to do in this league. And what do the Knicks need next year? You know, bring a Damian Lillard and see what he can do. And maybe uh, watch him a face. Uh, the guy in Dallas, Jokic, I can't pronounce his name. Maybe he's fed up and he's good friends with Brunson. Maybe you can move a guy like that to New York. Knicks have the draft capital to do it. I'm really off the rails here. What did Sorry. you what did you make of the um of the the other joker? The other joker from Denver pushing uh the, the Phoenix Suns. You know over. what? Good for him. I mean, what the hell was that guy? That little shit. What was he doing on the court? I mean, get the hell out of the way. Don't everybody wants to everybody thinks now it's like for some yeah. reason this is like the, the Roman Empire. You can get involved. You want to get in the arena with these cats, you better be prepared to pay the price of being in the arena with these guys because they're not to be trifled with. Yeah, That's what enough. I think. Okay, okay. And by the way, and that goes for, listen, you know, Spike Lee high-fiving people as they run by. What is that? Think yeah. about this for a second, and I'm not comparing myself to Spike Lee at all. Don't. But if I were sitting courtside by some miracle, somebody bought me a ticket, and I tried to um, – High five a guy running. I'd be thrown out of the friggin' gym. Rightly so. Out of the gym. 
Um, okay. That's it. I think it it is a gym. What is it? What do you call it? I think you should call into Boomer and Geo tomorrow. Guy from Morristown. Come come on, let's do it. All right. That's it, guys. You want me to? I'm going to end it now. Take us out. Listen, that's market call for today. It is Tuesday. Tomorrow's Wednesday. We get some data tomorrow. CPI tomorrow, PPI on Thursday. There's a lot of things happening. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, facts that. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. The audience, I always want to thank. The comments are appreciated. I try to read them all. Sometimes it's difficult for me. I'm not that smart. Uh, Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Smash the like button and ring some bell apparently too because that's a thing. We'll see you tomorrow at 1 o'clock. See you later.